Welcome to the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast. My name is Natalie Nidham. I'm a nutritionist, a human potential, and epigenetic coach, and I created this podcast to bring you the latest ways to take control of your health and longevity. We cover it all, from new technology to ancestral health practices, personalized interventions, and a very special interest of mine, peptides. Enjoy the show. Welcome back, folks. Today's episode is for you if you or anyone you know has ever had any kind of sleep issues. I don't think I can think of a single person that I know who's not at some point or another had a sleep issue. So whether you have one right now or you just want to fill up your knowledge bank for the future, this episode is for you. My guest today is Molly McLaughlin, the founder of Sleep is a Skill, which is a website, it's a program, and it's also a podcast. So there's Sleep is a Skill podcast and sleepisaskill.com is the website. And um, you can also find her on Instagram, just under her name, Molly McLaughlin. I'll bet you though, if you type in sleep as a skill, she'll pop up there as well. I had the pleasure of meeting Molly at the Upgrade Labs conference uh, that I was at last week. And she's, well, she was great to interview, but she's even more amazing in person. I really, really enjoyed connecting with her. She's incredibly knowledgeable and she's got amazing energy. So check it out. Let me know what you think. I always want to hear your comments. If you have any questions, let me know. If you're looking to connect with me, you can find me through my website, which is natnidham.com. You can find me on Facebook, which is on the Optimizing Superhuman Performance Group. And you can also find me on Instagram just under my name, Natalie Nidham. If you get value from this podcast, make sure that you leave us a review and maybe a comment and definitely share it out with any of your friends, family, or networks who you feel would also get benefit from the episode. Disclaimer is that all of the information on this podcast is exactly that, just information. We're not diagnosing, treating any kind of disease. If you want to decide, if you decide that you want to try a supplement or anything else that we talk about here, make sure that it's right for you. Make sure that you check with your doctor or your health professional and make sure that it's not going to kind of interact poorly with anything that you're already doing. I've covered all the bases. Thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate you guys and enjoy the episode. Hey folks, before we launch into the episode, just one thing, we have a sponsor, drinkhrw.com. This sponsor is all about the magic of molecular hydrogen and they make the most incredible molecular hydrogen products. They make molecular hydrogen tablets that you can easily just drop into your water every morning as you start your day. They actually even have flavored ones in raspberry flavor, if that's your jam. I like mine uh, plain with a squeeze of lemon, but I also love the raspberry. They even have tablets that you can drop into your bathtub to soak to get a whole body treatment of molecular hydrogen and tablets you can drop into a bowl of water and apply to your face. And so you might be sitting there wondering, so big deal, why would I drink hydrogen? I mean, hydrogen is the smallest molecule on the periodic table. Who cares about hydrogen? Well, let me tell you, you care about hydrogen. A lot about what we talk about in this podcast is about health span and lifespan. It's about aging well. It's about longevity. It's about managing your body system so that you can look, feel, and perform your best. And molecular hydrogen delivers on these points like nothing else does. 
Think about this. Molecular hydrogen actually combats oxidative stress as well as supporting a healthy inflammatory response. Now we know that inflammation is at the root of virtually every major disease out there. We also know that it makes us basically age faster. So I would qualify molecular hydrogen as a preventative aging supplement. And it is one of the easiest, healthiest, best out there with zero negative side effects. It indirectly mitigates the damages of those three issues that ultimately lead the way in virtually any disease state and fundamentally are the driving forces in why we age. We're talking imbalances in oxidative stress, in inflammation, and as well as increased insulin resistance. So you don't really have to take my word for it, guys. You can go to the drinkhrw.com website, and I'm going to tell you that it is one of the most incredible repositories of research and articles all about molecular hydrogen. And you know what I love about this company is they don't just run around telling you how great molecular hydrogen is. They don't just cherry pick the best research articles. They're full on, flat out, pretty honest about this article, this clinical trial. Well, it didn't show us much yet. Here are the flaws in it, or here's what we think. It's an incredible resource, but I can tell you that Whatever it is that you're dealing with, there's probably a clinical trial going on somewhere looking at whether or not molecular hydrogen can be helpful. And I will tell you that in my practice, I've seen it be helpful to all kinds of people, people who are suffering from joint pain because molecular hydrogen is able to target inflammation, because it's able to support a healthy inflammatory response in the body, and it also promotes antioxidant and oxidative balance. You guys, you don't want to just be taking antioxidants by the handful. You want something on board that's going to help to keep you in balance to not too high, not too low, just keep you in that Goldilocks state. So like I said, I have clients who were blown away about how effective this molecular hydrogen, taking it every day, sometimes soaking an injured joint in molecular hydrogen water, what a difference it made in their mobility and in their ability to recover from their injuries and even also, of course, from workouts. So you're going to be hearing me talk a lot more about molecular hydrogen in the future. This is just the tip of the iceberg. I encourage you to go to drinkhrw.com forward slash superhuman, and you can use promo code longevity10, and that will get you 10% off everything that you purchase. And you can try molecular hydrogen for yourself. And by all means, reach out to me and let me know how you liked your molecular hydrogen experience. And by all means as well, please, please, please check out their website. It is one of the most incredible resources that I've seen for molecular hydrogen research. So thanks for being here today, guys. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to the show, Molly McLaughlin. It is such a pleasure to meet you in person. Uh Yes, it's a pleasure to meet you. I'm so grateful to be here. This is awesome. Yeah, no, this is great. I mean, I've been, you know, I think you came onto my radar a few months ago through a couple of other people that we have in common. And yeah. uh, and I'm always looking at your work and going, wow, this is like, I, got, I can't wait to get her on the show. And then when oh. you said yes, I was like, oh my God, she said yes. <laughs> Oh, well, I, the feeling is mutual. Love the work you're doing. And um, I think, you know, we were just sharing before this too, that then once we were both uh, involved in that um, kind of promo for Biostrap and some of the work that they're doing, uh, just a cool way to be connected and excited to dive into more. Yeah, no, amazing. I'm, I'm, I'm stoked about this. Um, so Miss Molly, why don't you tell us a bit about what, I mean, first of all, I love the line sleep is a skill. 
because yes. sleep is a skill. And, you know, as a mom with our babies, we, we don't actually have to teach them, but we have to get out of the way so they can teach themselves how to sleep. But somewhere mm. along the line, so many of us lose this skill of being able to go to sleep for any number of reasons we can both come up with. But I'd love to hear about what drove you to this particular area of health optimization, which we both know is, I, I think it's at the top. If not number one, it's tied for one. <laughs> yes, I completely agree. Now, of course, I am biased because you, as you'll hear in my story, um, my my background, the reason I got into this was really uh, to solve my own problem that I was dealing with with my sleep. Uh, so what that looked like was uh, for most of my adult life relating to my sleep with, as a lot of labels, like, oh, I'm a night owl. I'm a short sleeper. Uh, it's in my genes. A lot of these kind of fixed ways of being around sleep and thought that that was just how it was. There's not much more to look at around that. That's, that's the story. Uh, and then living as a, you know, serial entrepreneur in Manhattan, uh, burning the candle at both ends, starting to have my already sort of maladaptive sleep, um, patterns get more and more extreme. So, you know, I'm, I'm starting to go to bed even later now it's, it's midnight, it's one o'clock, it's two o'clock. Oh, you know what? Sun's rising. Like, but it doesn't matter because I'd be justified and righteous that, well, I can sleep in and, you know. Yeah. That's just, that's, that's how my life is set up. No problem. Uh, didn't start to notice when I was starting to get, you know, more and more, um, symptoms around say even my cycle, my hormones, uh, you know, more painful periods, more anxiety, um, you know, sick more often got the beginnings mm -hmm. of an ulcer, all of these things start oh stacking shingles. <laughs> like I was getting some stuff. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, serious there's some here. signs, right? <laughs> so uh, your body's like, hello. Hello. Yeah, exactly. And then, uh, but it wasn't really until I went through my own period of insomnia while traveling internationally that <laughs> really, it was just like, an, you know, un, you can't ignore it anymore. And what it really um, marked for me in, in where I'm standing in my life right now, that was one of uh, my rock bottom, basically, is what that looked like. And it was a time of uh, the symptomology of all the things that weren't working in my life then really came out through that, uh, what felt like this inability to sleep and, you know, night after night and really felt maddening. Like it felt like, yeah. Oh my God. And, and is this forever? Like the, the line of thinking in my, in my brain. And often when we are sleep deprived our thinking patterns do go a bit awry. And it was certainly <laughs> this catastrophic thinking of, Oh my God, this is, this is a uh, buckle in. Cause this is how it's going to be forever. It was kind of how I was thinking. Um, and so, you know, at its lowest point, I went to the doctors in Croatia with Google translate and I'm like, help, I can't sleep. Uh, and, you know, leave with a prescription of their version of Ambien and end up having, um, going through from there to Budapest and to Italy, um, with different prescriptions. So each time they would, you know, wow. the thinking was like a short-term amount each time, but then it was, um, a blend of, uh, Valium, Xanax, and Ambien at all different points. And uh, then just a total fear of, uh, okay, so one, these aren't really actually working that much anyway, because I was so, uh, the anxiety levels were so high. So it would just kind of get me to sleep, but then I would have mega fragmented sleep throughout the course of the night and I'm waking up and it just, uh, you know, it was a lot. And so, but then a it was bit a like a nightmare. 
All yeah, it's, sleeping. yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's what it felt like. And then it also felt like, you know, then I have this new concern of how will I get off of these things um, mm-hmm. and feeling so connected to them at the same time, like this um, kind of love hate of I need them. And but now uh, I'm entangled with them. Like, how how does that all work? Yeah. So. Um, it was actually, you know, it was such a problem because it just felt like I couldn't, you know, I couldn't fulfill on the work that I needed to do. Like it just, it really changes the whole game when you're not sleeping like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'd actually come back from our trip early and went to back to New York to kind of get like, figure out the sleep thing. And from that place, uh, what was missing for me was a sense of, I kept saying like, why is there no, like, sleep AA or sleep support group or like somewhere to go. I need to talk to people, uh, you know, and cause there was also just such shame and like, you know, how can I not do this thing? That's so, you know, you would think, um, you know, a given for every human mm-hmm. disability of sleep. Uh, so flash forward, I end up really I'm quite an obsessive personality. It's probably part of the reason why I was having such issues with sleep, but on the plus side of it, went down the rabbit hole and then tested and tried so many things, uh, to make a difference with my sleep and out of that process. Um, once I uh, you know, got it to see kind of what works, what doesn't work, uh, and got to see once I restored that level of homeostasis to my sleep, which as I shared, wasn't even that great before, uh, but got it to like the baseline, but then got to go into this whole world of optimization and really mm-hmm. experiencing sleep that I never thought possible for myself was amazing and really just transformative changed my whole life. Um, you know, and even to have a, now we're, uh, you know, privileged to have this opportunity to have uh, a quantifiable uh, kind of tracking yeah. system of our sleep. So we can actually see what are these numbers? Where do we fall? What it, What is working? What's not working? And so now I just have years and years of data of understanding, uh, you know, the ways that we can make a difference with our sleep. And so out of it, I, once that happened, I could not stop talking about it and just became like this organic thing, uh, and started working with people. Cause I was so empathetic for other people that were dealing with that. Cause I knew uh-huh. how much it, you know, changed my life. Uh, so and then it built and grew into now we have, um, you know, we've had a weekly newsletter for a bunch of years. We've had a uh, weekly podcast now more recently within the last uh, about year and a half. And then small groups, one-on-one, we have online course, 90-day uh, course that we have on um, more of a private and cohort model for that. Uh, and then we're about to be launching a kind of DIY version um, nice. as well. So just this whole world got um, kind of grown out of that. But at the same time, it's all rooted in exactly what you said is this context of sleep being a skill. Uh, because I think that that's the real paradigm shift versus like, you're either good at it or bad at it, or these binary, uh, kind of ways of thinking. And it opens up a new possibility for all of us to, no matter where we're at, no matter how good we think we are at sleeping or poor, we don't think about it. It brings about this new world of, um, kind of education, insight, experimentation. Yeah, I love it. And, you know, it's interesting. There's what you say about sleep as a skill. And I find the other thing that I see a lot of both in my Facebook community and in um, in my practice, there's this hero attitude about sleep. Oh, I don't need much sleep. Yes. Right. Oh, I, I do great on five hours or I only need four and a half. And this this idea that we're wasting time when we're sleeping. Yes. And I I've been 
a victim of that more, not a victim. I've been, like I've had that story, right? Oh my God. Yeah. I don't have time. I'll sleep when I'm dead. <laughs> well, yeah. You're going to be dead pretty soon if you don't sleep, right? <laughs> Let's remind Absolutely. ourselves that sleep deprivation is a form of torture, which yes. anybody who's had major sleep issues will, will say absolutely. And the other thing that you said that I, that I really picked up on is how we catastrophize when we're not sleeping, everything yeah. at three o'clock, there's nothing worse than going through, you know, you're, you have some major stress in your life. There's nothing worse than waking up at three o'clock in the morning and ruminating on that thing, because mm. it, I find that it explodes, right? Like it yes. just, it amplifies. It's so much worse. And with experience, you can maybe talk yourself down and say, well, it's because it's three in the morning. It's going to be, it's going to feel worse than, than it yeah. actually is. But at the same time, there's this thing that happens in the night when you're supposed to be sleeping. So, so why don't we talk a little bit about how you're, you're, you help people to, to get out of this. Cause I find like, I mean, I'm going to let, we're going to talk about the hard skills and the supplements yeah. and all that stuff, but that mind game that happens when people can't sleep, like where they yeah. really, and, and as you said, you know, you, once it becomes a problem, then the problem becomes the problem because you're anxious yeah. about not sleeping, which makes, which of course exacerbates the problem. So why don't we talk a little bit about how we're able, you're able to kind of coach people or help people kind of through that, that first obstacle in a way. Yes. So well said too. that last part about, um, we become anxious about not sleeping. I mean, when I was at my worst, the sun would be setting and I would, my heart would start like racing. Like, Oh my God, it's going to be another long night of not sleep. Like, how am I going to get through this night? You know? And so you're absolutely right. It became like its own form of sleep anxiety. And, yeah. uh, with that, it's how do you unravel all that? Uh, so we really lean into two key frameworks. So one we call the sleep tripod. So workability between psychology, physiology, and environment and starting nice. to really take an assessment of, uh, out of that pie chart. And of course they're all very much interconnected, but starting to see, are there certain, uh, key things that out of that, um, those slices of the pie, are there, uh, ones that are more egregiously, you know, not working than the other ones. Uh, so we can start to zoom in on those three, but of course, working in tandem with all of those, uh, mm -hmm. examples of each one of those, um, of course, you know, psychology, there are times when there's like an acute experience. It's kind of what was happening for me. It was this bubbling up. And then this acute experience of we were going to be traveling the world and we had a one-way ticket. And so we're, oh, we're going to be digital nomads, very Tim Ferriss style. And, oh, it didn't go that way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And now, and now we got a problem. Uh, so, you know, so that kind of acute experience. And then there are, um, you know, other people that are dealing with, uh, they lose their job, there's divorce, there's a death, there's some of those. And then also what I see is just uh, kind of chronic uh, stress that has been present for many, many years. Um, women going through different periods of uh, mm -hmm. perimenopause, menopause, postmenopause, and now relating to their sleep in some maladaptive ways. And unfortunately, because now they've experienced and for some people that I never had a problem with my sleep and now, oh my God, I can't get through the night and et cetera, et cetera. Um, I also deal with uh, a lot of poker players and, you know, different athletes, but particularly poker players. And because uh, they have a bit of like a shift work almost experience that they're right. going through and a lot of the mental game, um, and the stressors that come about with that. And so 
lots of different groups that might have that persistent stress. Uh, so we're getting up under what part of that is uh, working, not working. We create something called the sleep sabotagers. Uh, so it's looking at really all areas of life, giving a self-assessment across the board and seeing which areas are kind of um, uh, not working as well as we'd like it to and bring about a lot of accountability and kind of behavioral change elements there. Then uh, we're also looking at uh, the physiology aspect of things. So a lot of mm -hmm. testing and understanding, are there certain things that are just, uh, you know, no matter what you're doing for kind of this, you know, thought therapy approach, if whatever your vitamin D and magnesium and all of these are just egregiously low, iron, thyroid, all of these um, things, you know, just common or more kind of nuanced, um, you know, what, what could be happening there. And that also leads us into environment where sometimes the environment can be affecting our sleep results, whether, you know, mold, air quality, uh, but then more, uh, I would say not more common, but often very common is uh, just a lifestyle that so many of us are having, um, particularly in like, you know, Western environments where we're living sort of these 24 hour uh, cycles and how much just even getting your light right can make such a difference. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I'm sure you've spoken a lot about this. Um, you know, so leaning into some of those things that can make a difference environmentally. Uh, so that's one framework. The second framework is looking at circadian rhythm entrainment mm -hmm. and how to entrain and strengthen that circadian rhythm. I think that can also be really empowering too, for many of us is knowing that our circadian rhythm isn't just this like fixed static state, it's dynamic and it exists on the spectrum. And you can either be on the you know weaker side of that circadian rhythm or the stronger side and to strengthen our circadian rhythm. We want to start moving us over on that side of the spectrum towards that uh, strengthening side and what that ends up looking like on the other side of things is, you know, the, the friend that we all might know that no, no matter how late everyone was up, they're still getting up at the same time that they always do, or that they, you know, just have such levels of automaticity in their, in their body and their kind of functionality. That's really what we're, you know, people complain about that. Uh, but often and that's really what we're looking to create seven days a week consistently. And the things that go into that, I think many people are surprised. Um, some of those things that you can do to strengthen that circadian rhythm. So why don't we talk about that a little bit? Because sure. I'm a huge proponent of that. Like I've always been a person. It doesn't matter what time I go to bed. I'm going to be up within a half hour window, 90% yeah. of the time. And, uh, and to your point, I used to be like, oh, I wish like I was, I was like all my friends. I wish I could sleep yeah. in. I actually hate sleeping in because I feel yeah. like I've wasted half the day, which I kind of have. Right? Yeah. And that um, quality comes into question of what that sleep even was. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, and I think actually, so there's a couple of questions. So one is how, I mean, I've got my ways of, of strengthening circadian rhythm, but I want to hear about yours. Yeah. But do you also um, talk a lot, talk about at all what is happening? One of the ways that I like to encourage people to really work on their sleep is to talk about what's happening while you're sleeping. Mm -hmm. Because this idea that waste is a sleep of time. Yeah. When people start to really kind of embrace all of, all of the things that are happening while they're sleeping. And I mean, you know, I'm in a space of anti-aging, longevity, vitality, health span. Sure. You're, if you're not sleeping, you're aging. Yes. <laughs> you're, you're running down the clock a lot faster, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah. So, so 
two parts about that. One, um, I loved what, how you kind of opened with the, you know, that it could quite possibly be number one. And that's really the argument that we're making um, is that there's this, you know, basics over biohacks. And we talk about basics uh, that there's an argument that sleep really belongs on the foundational first rung of that pyramid. Um, and because even just pragmatics, if we think about when we are sleep deprived, um, you know, glucose levels rising, just, you know, element so that you're going to, it's going to just, everything's more harder to be uh, healthy, to have this health and well-being element of things. Cause now when our glucose levels are uh, higher, now we're going to be craving more of those things. We're going to have to be exercising way more levels of willpower, especially, you know, that's like, we're talking a day or two. If you yeah. apply that over years and decades for some people, uh, you're just, you know, creating an uphill battle for even the choices of food that you're leaning into, but then even the um, effects of all the exercise that you might be aiming to lean into. So the ability to, um, you know, actually get reap the benefits of that on a nightly basis. And just again, pragmatics that if we didn't get that sleep, what's one of the first things that's going to get cut. Oh, okay. I got a snooze, snooze, snooze. I'm going to miss the gym. I'm you know, I'm going to make poor choices with the food. I mean, these are just like things that we kind of know if we really think about. Um, but so I think one, uh, one of the things that we do with our course is we get people grounded in the why to begin, because like any behavioral change, if we aren't grounded in that why, and if we aren't kind of reflecting on that why periodically, you know, we tend to default to what's familiar. Uh, so like really, really looking at uh, why is this important? Why did you choose to make this difference and lean into this concept that sleep is a skill? Um, okay, so if I'm gonna le learn a skill, it doesn't happen overnight. If we're gonna learn piano, we don't have an expectation that we're just, amazing right out of the gate. Uh, so, you know, kind of creating that frame for how we're going to approach this. Uh, so having that why is crucial. And, uh, you know, there can be different ranges of this. So there are, like you're speaking to, too, some of the people that um, are in the group that think that this isn't that important. I will say a lot of the people that I'm dealing with um, are clear that it's pretty important because they're, well, they're, they're struggling. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They've come to you. They, it's come to their attention. Yeah, it's come to that point. Issue. So I will say yeah. that I usually do have, have that, um, going, but there are always those experiences where they, they think that they're, um, committed and then the opportunity to go out with the friends until two, 3 AM or the, you know, then it's, it's important until it's not, you know, until yeah. other options are there. Uh, so that why becomes so important. I, mm -hmm. I'm glad that you pointed to that. Yeah. And I find, you know, the harder, th almost, I mean, going out with the friends is a huge issue, yeah. but then you also get the people who just, they can't, they just can't bring themselves to go to sleep, to go to bed. Yeah. Right. They yeah. can't bring themselves to turn off the TV, to shut off the phone, to yeah. stop playing games, to whatever the case may be. And, you know, helping these people to understand what and I love what you just said, like the why becomes so critical mm. as once we can really connect people to why this is important, how this may be holding them back from reaching all the other goals that they may have, be they physical, be they just even physical appearance or yeah. performance, whether it's cognitive or physical. And I mean, you know, we talk about athletes who, who sleep 12 hours a mm. night, right? Mm -hmm. And these guys are super performers and starting to help people to connect to 
Why is this so important? But then bringing it back to why is it important to you? Mm, absolutely. And, right. you know, and it's not to make it wrong for anyone that's, you know, no. kind of oscillating because I was that example of someone that didn't have that why, or that was justified and righteous, like, Oh, well, you know, it is how it is. So I've, I've seen <laughs> I'm, that. I'm just like this. this I'm is just, yeah, don't, yeah. don't try to get me to do anything else. That's, that's how it is. So I totally, I've seen all sides of it and it really did for me being stubborn did take, um, you know, really reaching that rock bottom period to really get, okay, now I've seen what life looks like without sleep and it is not pretty. So <laughs> I am just not uh, interested in that, in that reality. Uh, and so that is helpful for, to have that really strong why and other people, you know, we might all be dealing at different levels of that commitment and it might wane or it might, um, you know, come and go and what have you. But uh, I think you're absolutely right. So it's important for us to, with any behavioral change that we're making, because I am asking people to make a number of behavioral changes, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and we know historically for habit change that uh, the expectation that people are going to be, you know, hitting this out of the park day one is just not um, reality because yeah. there are so, so many uh, habits and we can get into those too. Uh, so when leaning into that circadian rhythm entrainment, there's kind of a, a top-down approach of the things that can make the biggest difference for, uh, strengthening that circadian rhythm. And so that's how we kind of stack things is that we start with the, um, biggest fundamental, like if you did nothing else, then this would make a difference for your sleep for consistent, uh, for overall consistency and strengthening that circadian rhythm. And then we kind of, uh, titrate down from there and we're looking to stack practice and then bring in high levels of accountability and multiple touch points throughout that, um, endeavor. So for us, we do it for a 90 day period. Everyone's wearing an aura ring, um, that we work with as of right now in, you know, 2021, uh, that's what we have people utilize. So we have an ongoing dashboard. So every single day we have that connectivity to see what's working, what's not working and kind of course correct. They have uh, sleep bots so that we're, you know, connecting with uh, the experience of what, what happened uh, day in, day out so that we can kind of pattern spot. Cause often there are some reliable things that are coming up and again and again, but that might not be kind of brought to the surface. Um, but from that top-down approach, the first one, and you know, for anyone listening, um, this would be my hope that if you did get nothing else out of everything that we're talking about, uh, that just leaning into the first one being most important for circadian rhythm and training and being light. Um, yes. and so, I'm so yeah. glad you said that. I was yes. like, light, light. <laughs> light, light, light. And you know, what's so cool about this area, I think is that um, it gives those of us that are struggling with our sleep, a new focus and a reframe that takes us out of just focusing on the night. Uh, you know, when I was dealing with my nice. sleep issues, right. It was like, okay, uh, you know, what do I do? Just kind of wait until the night comes. And now the night comes, I had like a whole stack of things that I had. I had my, my eye mask, my books, my, you know, <laughs> my little lights. And like, I had a whole thing. I'm going into battle, you know, and like that <laughs> and was shockingly, you're not falling asleep. Right. Exactly. Right. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. Right. Can you believe it? Uh, and so if, when, with that approach that tends to be, you know, often a failing strategy based on if you're dealing with that level of sleep anxiety and what have you. So shift the focus to like, all right, we're really not, um, we're going to be, uh, moving our focus to the day and how we're running the day, how we're managing the day or stress levels throughout the day, a number of things, how we're eating, timing, um, all of these things. And this is all in a 
domain of chronobiology. So really looking at the science of time and its effects on our biology. So what we get to then do is shift to, we're going to start looking at from the minute we wake up or, you know, hopefully if we've slept throughout the night, uh, but from that start point of your day that we're getting outside, that we're getting that morning sunlight, getting that directly in our eyes, most importantly, um, because yes. of its, uh, right, that connection to our super chiasmatic nucleus and that master clock in our brain uh, so that that can routinely and reliably kind of reset that master clock, which you really need to do largely every day. There is a bit of an averaging out effect, you know, if, if one day you're not out quite as long or what have you, but if you're, but the goal is to have that level of consistency um, so that that averaging out works in our favor. Um, so you want to be doing that first thing and anchoring, you know, known as sunlight anchoring, we're looking to anchor that, uh, on the first half of our morning, most importantly. So if if you are, if you've been hearing rumblings about this need to get outside, get that sunlight, uh, but you're kind of like, where do I fit this in my day? Uh, if you're leaning into doing that and lunch and noontime, you know, great, but that's not actually going to make uh, the difference that we're looking to make. We really need to have it anchored on the first half of the day. Um and that's also a different type of light. So it's, you know, cause the, the morning light is more rich in uh, infrared light just because of the stretching of where the sun is on the horizon. Uh, so leaning into that is just gonna really signal to the body where, you know, uh, suppressing any lingering issues of melatonin, uh, to, you know, leaning into a healthy amount of cortisol cause we do want that in the morning in and in a healthy level to, you know, give us that energy to get through the day. Um, and so with that, we want to have that consistency seven days a week being the difference too. I think so many right. people hear that and they're like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm pretty good during the weekday. Yeah, I got this. And then forget about those weekends. And then we have people creating that social jet lag, which I think needs a new name. Cause you know, we saw during the pandemic that <laughs> there wasn't much was socializing. Yeah, exactly. It was <laughs> just self-created jet lag. It was like Netflix jet lag. It was, you know, phone yeah. jet lag. It was whatever. Uh, so, so we really want to be seeing what could life be like if we were doing this seven days a week. And that can often be one of the most transformative things that I've seen for people too, is like, oh my God, I, I, I thought I was good ish with consistency, but now bringing that in on Friday, Saturday, Sunday as well, or what have you that's a whole new reality and it's a whole new way of relating to themselves and the management of their days, but then getting to really have an experience of, Oh my God, I get to actually feel, um, reliably recovered uh, each mm -hmm. morning. It's a new space to be in because I think what people don't realize too, is when we are sleeping in on the weekends, um, you know, then not only is there that jet lag, there's even the metabolic jet lag, then you don't even know when you're you're hungry at different points and, uh, your bowel movements are at different points. All of these things shift. And of course those hormones, but not only is it happening that weekend, but then now Monday and Tuesday, it's like those effects of jet lag. When we're trying to then get back on track, you're just starting to get back on track midweek and then you're going to do it all over again. Um, or some version of that, you know, so if you're listening and you're like, well, I, I'm not like a nine to fiver. It's, uh, even if that is the case, we might have some version of that on that we've created, um, ourselves. Yeah, no, so, that's, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, and with that, uh, there's so much that we can do even from a regularity standpoint. So 
first, uh, most important being that light. And of course, on the flip side being darkness. Uh, so you can't have the light without the darkness. So we'd want to have um, really leaning into cultivating more darkness than I think a lot of us are. And since melatonin is known as the hormone of darkness, then in order to really uh, create naturally the amount of melatonin that we need to not only get us to fall asleep, but to stay asleep, uh, then we need to really lean into levels of darkness that most many of us are not really cultivating. Um, so, you know, that can be a transition from, you know, shifting our environment. We have people take, uh, pictures or, uh, video of their sleep environment. So we can do a real before and after of seeing kind nice. of the difference that they make. Yeah. Uh, so all of that to kind of get that set up on the front end and to have yourself know what can make the difference in your environment. So if you are, you know, traveling a lot or in different spaces so that those spaces can pretty much reliably have some of those key fundamentals consistently. Yeah, no. And the darkness is so interesting. So two things actually that came up is one, how do you feel about sunglasses? Because I'm constantly arguing with my clients about, yeah, yeah, I know they make you look cool. However, they're messing yes. up your sleep. Yes, oh my God, <laughs> totally. Oh, and, no. and, you know, and in getting people to get outside first thing in the morning, for me, it's as simple as drink your coffee outside, stick your head out yeah. the window. If you live in a high rise, like yeah. figure it out, just get your just eyes outside some way, somehow. And yes. whether that's middle of the winter and that happens to coincide with your cold exposure or you know, yes. like, like uh, this whole idea of sunglasses may look cool, but they're not your friend. Um, yeah. I find yeah. it's, it's and, and it's hard, right? Because I think I've, I've saved thousands of dollars over the last X number of years that I've stopped wearing sunglasses in not having to buy new sunglasses that I keep losing. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. Totally. You know? Okay. So I have a couple of things about that. One, um, 110%. And I've had these very similar conversations as well. So what I'll say about that is, um, unequivocally in that those morning hours, I love what you said about sticking your head out the window. Like sometimes these things are going to look weird. Uh, and we are asking people to do things outside of the bell curve of what most people are doing. Uh, so, you know, even that kind of further habit change resistance. So, you know, but it, more the education of the why. So when we share with people that in certain studies, um, standing behind, a window can take anywhere from 50 to hundred times longer in certain studies to mm-hmm. reset that master clock can start to give a, um, a reasoning of, okay, so just pragmatically, like let's get ourselves outside. It's not a linear, uh, way of looking at those numbers. It's not just like, okay, we'll stand 50 to hundred times longer in front of, you know, behind that window. Really? Right. Work like that. <laughs> yeah. You're damaging your skin by the way, because yeah, you- by the way, exactly. By the way. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, uh, you know, just the pragmatics of it say like, okay, fine. So let me get myself outside. And then when you are outside, exactly. You want to, um, cause the most important element of this is, uh, for for in this conversation is the getting that sun in the eyes. Uh, and then of course the other important elements of vitamin D on the rest of the skin. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't want to be having, you know, baseball hats, uh, you know, long, uh, clothing, you know, the turtlenecks or any of those sort of things. You want to get as much of that sunlight as you possibly can. 
so leading into that, and absolutely sunglasses are not going to work um, in that. So the other thing that I would share is the only thing about that is that I had gotten right. Like pretty much I'd always say like, burn your sunglasses. Ha ha ha. Uh, I do live in Vegas and at right now. Oh, yeah. so well, there's a time Austin, and a place. <laughs> so I will say that there are certain t- driving certain things. Um, I have had to kind of like uh, a little, get a little less strict, at least in the, um, when we're talking about the afternoons. Mm-hmm. Uh, so mm-hmm. one, you know, different groups, um, a lot of people that I work with are leaning to um, Andrew Huberman. If you've um, heard of him, yeah. great podcast, lots of resources. And um, I'll credit him with his uh, kind of calling or noting of the afternoon of your circadian dead zone. And so meaning that there's uh, of all this time that we're leading into uh, telling, because really everything we're doing is aiming to tell the body what time it is, because yeah. it is trying to figure out what time it is all throughout the course of the day. And that afternoon, while there's benefits, of course, for getting outside, getting that sunlight, there's lots of other reasons, but for as a circadian element of things, it's a bit of that dead zone in that afternoon um, is part of that thinking from certain studies leaning into the why of that. So um, I, you know, if you are driving during that time, I've had to make allowances. We actually just went to, sure. uh, Disney just a couple of just this past week. And so I had to go and go to Uniqlo and get myself some $20 sunglasses. I didn't even have sunglasses. <laughs> and I'm like, this is a no joke, Florida in the summer. All right. Got it. Yeah, um, it's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> but largely. So at the, so what we want this to be is like a sort of, of the piece of the pie, like a rare time when you are, if, if you do wear sunglasses that it's a very, rare, um, experience for the most part, just, you know, for, um, safety reasons, driving or any of those, but besides that, the the mornings, there is really no need for them. And when you think of a, um, ancestral perspective, we didn't have them. I mean, we just didn't have them for so so long. Yeah. Well, you know, there's this study that I don't know if it's a study or a, or, a, or an experiment that someone did where they took a bunch of people who had self-declared themselves as night owls. They're like, you know what? I cannot yes. fall asleep or go to sleep until midnight. And you probably have heard of this. And they put they took them camping. Camping. Yeah. yeah. University of Colorado. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Took them camping. <laughs> no Absolutely. phones, no flashlights, no nothing. And shockingly, within how long did it take? Nothing. Like less no, than a week. It was like very days, short time. Yeah. They were all snoozing by like nine o'clock or nine 30, like their body had completely, and it's that constant exposure. And of course, Nirvana to circadian reset would be to watch the sunrise and the sunset because you've yeah. now, to your point of anchoring, you've now inform, allowed that information to come into the brain about where exactly it is in that whole cycle of the day. Yes. Um, but I've, I've said that to so many people. I actually have a question for you. When you, when you work with people, do you look at their genetics at all? Yeah, we do. Actually, we're starting to lean into, um, company wild health as well for another kind of, yeah. um, uh, you know, add on as well, but yeah, that can be really important, but also one of the things that, um, cause I love that you just mentioned that study. Cause that study is so important to this conversation of labels. Again, you know, mm-hmm. I mentioned my own labels before I dealt with my sleep. Uh, and then one of the things that I've seen a lot of people lean into, uh, sometimes at their own detriment are the labels of, um, chronotypes and now yes. chronotypes. Um, now this can be a bit controversial because, uh, certain people will lean into, well, you know, like, you know, the, there's a genetic um, predisposition and that very well, uh, is there's certainly a whole conversation around that for sure with legitimacy, but there's, I think that study among 
a number of others of um, kind of circadian rhythm entrainment uh, point to that there's a lot that can be done for all of us, uh, despite having be um, having those really hard and fast uh, statements that, oh, I'm a night owl, that's how it is, I'm most productive, I'm this, a, lot, a whole reality that's built around uh, that kind of way of being. Mm-hmm. And once we start bringing in that level of consistency, regularity, and really getting that light right, but not even the light. The second most important thing for um, circadian rhythm treatment is temperature and different mm-hmm. elements of temperature. And temperature can be influenced by a number of things, including you know the types of meals that we're eating, the time that we're eating those, Absolutely. Uh, exercise, exercise type, thoughts even, which is really fascinating of um, infecting our, in, impacting our temperature. Um, but so there's all, and of course, uh, drugs, alcohol, THC, uh, caffeine, all of these other things, and then prescription drugs that can affect, um, body temperature and that circadian optimization. Uh, but there's so much of that, that I think so many of us don't even know what it looks like to have such levels of consistency, like that study brought about that natural anchoring and tethering to the rhythms of nature. And once we do that, it's really quite fascinating, the difference that that can bring about. And part of the thinking with this chronotypes um, is that I think some of us might not uh, think of how uh, we might exaggerate the yeah. thinking of what the difference would be, right? So it's like we make it, oh, I'm a night owl, so no big deal that I go to bed at two, three, four in the morning, whereas yeah. the difference might not be that large um, from an ancestral perspective. Yeah, that's such a great point, actually, that, that you know, a night owl, actually, from an ancestral perspective, might be 11 o'clock. Yeah. Whereas, right. As opposed, and so I, I think that's great. No, I brought up the genetics also because um, one of the things I do is I look at people's genes and yeah. I would say that in all the genetic panels I have run over the last few years. Yeah. And it's now, you know, a lot of them. Yeah. I've come across like a, an infinitesimally small number of people that are not genetically wired to wake up in the morning and go to bed at a decent hour at night. I think I've come across one single person who actually carried the deck two gene, which Mm. is that deck two gene is the short sleeping gene, right? So these people literally only sleep maybe four or five hours a night, but I actually read an article not that long ago about a woman who had that gene. It was a massive issue for her because as she aged, as we age, we naturally sleep less. Yes. And her life was becoming like a problem because she yeah. wasn't able to get like three hours or three and a half hours of sleep a night. So I, I think that whole genetic story, it's, it's very interesting. Important. It's, yeah. And it's part of the stories we tell ourselves. Um, but even the idea, you know, of melatonin and some people processing melatonin more slowly than others or others yeah. more quickly like understanding that melatonin is a hormone that is natural, that you have been gifted with naturally. (laughs) Yes. It's a thing. (laughs) It's a thing. And that in certain countries, you can't come across it so easily. You get prescriptions and you have to, it's not just, um, you know, in every, uh, even available for kids when they have a cold and this, that, and the other, I mean, the prevalence that we, and the kind of, um, lax nature that we talk about really hormone supplementation is really very, very interesting and something to consider and look at. I mean, I just was speaking with a client just yesterday. We're doing an onboarding and, oh, how much melatonin are you taking? 40 milligrams each day. Um, you know, and, and some people will lean into these really high dose of melatonin, um, 
There's even suppositories. There's all kinds yeah. of things that you can yeah. do, of course, for melatonin. Uh, and yet I think it just is really something to consider. There are two camps. Some people, uh, yeah. you know, say that, oh, of course, high dose melatonin, no big deal. Uh, and then there's another camp that has concerns around what that is, uh, what that could be doing over the long-term effects. Uh, so something to consider, but I love what you're speaking to about the, um, what could be a rarity of this, um, uh, short sleeping element of things mm -hmm. and that it maybe is not even that, uh, advantageous. you know, some people might say, Oh, they'd be excited about that a prospect or think <laughs> or hope and hold on to that. They have that. Uh, and I used to be one of them. I used to really sure. think that it was, you know, personal development, want to lean into mind over matter. And I would think, okay, well just, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Like, you know, it's just kind of a mental game thing. Uh, and that was something that I leaned into in my, um, you know, youth and thought that that meant made sense. And, uh, and I think that that was a bit more of a prevalent narrative happening. And now I'm really, I'm excited for this period of time when particularly with sleep tech, I think it's part of, part of the process that's making such a difference for people that maybe wouldn't have been interested in this topic previously, they start tracking and then are alarmed by the results. Sure. And now they're motivated to make a difference with this area newly. Yeah. No, I love that. I mean, the interesting, the, the melatonin story is interesting and we don't have to dig into it too much, but I know that, you know, when we get into the higher doses, there are physicians that are using it, but not so much for sleep necessarily. Yes. Or right. Or they'll use it at high dose. I actually did this recently with a client. I had her taking a very high dose first thing in the morning. Yeah. And what was happening is it was helping her circadian cycle to reset in a way. Her husband said to me, I have in all the years I've been married to this woman, I've never seen her pop out of bed quite the way that she is right oh, now. Oh, that's so, life changing. That's amazing. Like, yeah. And so I'm glad you, you pointed to that because it's important. Strategically, like, yeah. Like yeah, strategically there's different ways and different reasons to use melatonin. Yeah. There's some, ex, you know, really exciting studies with, um, uh, certain types of cancers and yeah. high dose melatonin. There's, you know, so there's, there's a case by case basis with this, but I think all of it points to that. It is, um, you know, a powerful thing to lean into. So mm -hmm. being having that awareness and a real framework by which we're bringing this in versus just, you know, cause, and I think many of us, and again, to keep using myself as an example, I was someone that, um, thought, well, it's a supplement who, what's the big deal? Like, you know, yeah. oh, okay. I'm not, I need to get a good night of sleep. So let me take double, like just the willy nilly, um, approach to that. And so, uh, when you have someone that is trained by your side to kind of bring in a strategy and can monitor and make this uh, difference, that's a whole other, you know, conversation. Absolutely. So let's talk a bit about napping. Yeah. I mean, there's so much we could talk about. I've got a list of things. Mm -hmm. We're not going to get through all of them, <laughs> but, um, actually, you know what we were talking beforehand about this client of mine who has restless leg syndrome, which is, yeah. you know, next to, I mean, next to insomnia, it's not as common. I don't think as insomnia, but again, restless leg syndrome, people think, oh, it's just a twitchy leg, but it can really be just, it can be catastrophically disruptive to people's sleep in a worst case scenario. So, yeah. and there's very little that conventional medicine has to offer for it. Unfortunately, that really works. Yeah. Um, but why don't let's, I started off with napping and that's because this client I have who has RLS yeah, is essentially forced to nap during the day. And he's all stressed. He's like, well, you know, well, if I'm napping during the day, 
how am I ever going to get to sleep at night? And it's like, well, if you're only sleeping an hour and a half at night, it becomes survival. It's a little bit like having to, at some point, sometimes when you haven't slept for too long, taking yeah. a sleeping pill, because even getting knocked out, which is not as optimal as falling asleep naturally is going to be better. Mm. But yes, or for a period of time, it's the problem with the sleeping pills is you become dependent on them. And then the quality of sleep isn't as great, blah, blah, blah. Yes. But let's, let's go back. Napping yes. RLS. Go. Yes, definitely. <laughs> yeah, totally. Okay. So um the napping conversation, uh, there's been it's been called this napping paradox. Um, because there can be different uh groups that might benefit from naps and different groups that might not, but largely uh leaning into the positives of napping. Um, going under this umbrella of adenosine. So, you know, um, one of the ways that I describe adenosine to, um, to people is, you know, you're waking up in the morning and you've got this like empty hourglass and then throughout, you know, throughout the <laughs> just existence of living, you got these little pieces of sand and think of them as adenosine, uh, kind of coming down throughout the course of the day, just uh, throughout, um, throughout our day. And then you get, you know, say midway through the day, um, there's a couple ways that you can influence or common ways that you can influence adenosine. Um, you know, one of them being caffeine to kind of just confuse, uh, your brain's ability to know that there's all that, you know, sand in that hourglass. And so it doesn't think that it's there. Uh, so leaning into that or, um, adenosine actually dumping a little bit of that out so that you feel a little less tired and that can be achieved by napping. Um, and so with napping, then we're often trying to get a bit of that fine line so that we're not dumping too much of that adenosine out so that by the time you get to the end, of, you know, the end of your day that you still have that kind of bubbling up of that sand so that it's so at the top where you're like, have that sleep pressure so that you want to really go to sleep. Um, and if it's, and that can be part of the problem when I will have people that have, um, especially, uh, I'll see this as people post retirement and what have you, they're starting to lean into long naps and just at various times. Mm. Um, and that now they're having the difficulty of when they get to that normal kind of quote unquote bedtime, then they're not tired. So we're just trying to manage that so that it's not too much. So um, often, uh, a winning strategy can be to lean into some of those kind of quote unquote power naps or like, uh, smaller amounts of time, any, you know, in that 20 minute range, 25 minute range, uh, some of that certainly not going past, uh, you know, kind of ultradian rhythm of, you know, 90 minutes for sure. Unless, uh, and unless with the asterisk that you're, uh, sick or, you know, dealing with certain things that would, uh, certain jet lag periods or what have you. Uh, but so certainly what we're looking for is having that management of having it be a bit earlier on in the day so that it's not going to affect your nighttime sleep. Um, and that can be really a winning strategy for a number of people. You can also lean into having that, um, be with other relaxation techniques so that we are training our nervous system to be able to kind of at will, um, calm itself. Once you get to the evening, so you can kind of pair those two and that's, you know, people will lean into hypnosis, yoga, nirdra, um, relaxation techniques, meditation, deep breathing, all of that. And it might kind of, um, bucket into a, a nap period. Uh, and then the other group that can be a part of that napping paradox that might not make sense for at least a period of time to lean into naps, um, can often be people that are dealing with uh, insomnia and we're trying to have a strategy to cultivate more of that sleep pressure um, because they have had that um, missing of that ability to feel that kind of um, 
routine and consistent tiredness at the consistent times and what have you. So that can be a period where it might make sense to, um, kind of abstain from those naps for a period just to get ourselves kind of back on track and, uh, you know, restore that rhythm. Uh, but it can be something really, really valuable for people to lean into. And I hear what you're saying when people are really, really struggling with their sleep, uh, just to make it through that day is going to be crucial. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then on the restless leg syndrome side of things, um, it's such a fascinating uh, area. I mean, there's even uh, records that point back to this hundreds of years ago, people talking about twitching in the leg and, you know, poetically speaking to it and how much that had, you know, impacted uh, the quality of their sleep. And that was before a lot of these types of the drugs that your doctor might prescribe to you with um, restless leg now. And then other people might not get that, um, either diagnosed or they might not go deeper to get further tests to see, you know, iron levels or different yeah. things that they can do from a holistic, um, kind of perspective to make a difference there. Uh, and then I've had, I've seen different things with different clients. Um, some being able to actually make the prescriptions workable, uh, that they've had for their restless leg and lean into that. And, um, that's been sufficient for them. Other people that are avoiding, um, that route and more going, uh, even layering things like CBD oil in there, mm -hmm. layering, um, uh, magnesium issues, layering in, uh, some of the, the discussion around, um, iron, uh, IVs, um, all kinds of things that you can do to make a difference there, but it can be so, so, um, upsetting for people. And I do think that the tracking can be really important for all of these conversations around our sleep, because then we can start to have some numbers behind us of what's working, what's not working and start leaning into some of those, um, to, to find that stack that works for that patient. Yeah. It becomes like Uber sleep hacking at that point. Yes. Think, you know, yeah. A client of mine and called it forensic sleepology. And she was like, yeah, this is crazy. Like, you know, we're going back and forth. She's like, Oh my God, that's right. I had the ice cream that night. And then that flared up this. And then, the, I mean, just some of the things I think can be fascinating for people that would not have considered that those things can make, you know, a number of things can make a difference, uh, for their sleep results. But on the positive side, it can put us back in the driver's seat. So we can start yeah. to have a real cause and effect. And I mean, so much of, for me, I have a knowingness if, if I'm going to do X, then Y is going to happen for the most part, um, of the results. So then I'm informed in my decision-making on some of these mm -hmm. behaviors that previously I would have thought were totally unrelated to my experience with my sleep. Yeah. And you bring up such a great point when you brought up the ice cream, because, and I'm sure you get your clients to do this is tracking your food because yes. understanding how there's, I mean, number one, there's meal timing for sure. We, yeah. we know is intrinsically like it's, it's completely bound into circadian entrainment to your point. Yes. Um, but also understand helping people to draw lines between, Oh, when I eat this, I don't, I can't get to sleep. Like for me, when I started years back tracking my sleep and understanding mm -hmm my story that, oh, well, I'm Mediterranean, so I don't eat until nine o'clock at night or eight thirty. Yes. And my poor British husband who was used to eating at six going, really? And I think he kind yeah. of farming at the beginning of our relationship and eventually kind of got over that. <laughs> he was, yeah. He's like, this really sucks. I can't wait eating to eat this long. Anyway, but finally, when I finally started to quantify 
my sleep and, and to measure my sleep and understand seeing how those late meals were trashing my deep sleep. Yes. <laughs> but then taking it a step further with our clients and showing them that, oh, look, that sugar bomb you're having with dinner actually isn't working for your sleep. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. I mean, it can be so eye-opening. Um, so when people will, since, um, you know, every client we work with has that aura ring. So that's part of the anchoring of what we're looking at to kind of see, um, the behaviors, what's coming up and, you know, on the dashboard that we have set up, it's like, you can see little strips of the, you know, Saturday, Sunday, and how often that might have like big old spikes that come about. And it's not to say that, you know, some people have different schedules or whatever, but just there are commonalities that there are certain things that just so deviate what their norm is. Um, and then when we're able to point to, oh, that was the glass of wine and the pie or whatever, um, it's just so, uh, while it can be a bad news insight on the front end, it can be really empowering on the back end because now you get to choose uh, and make informed decisions. There's also, I mean, this area of sleep optimization is so huge and projected to get even bigger. I mean, even now there just recently was a new... Um, ice cream, speaking of ice cream, ice cream line, <laughs> literally called night food, what that's no. meant to be backed by, uh, it's, and it's meant to be backed by sleep, um, you know, sleep doctors, sleep professionals, sleep researchers to be this expert approved option for your food, uh, for your sleep. <laughs> now I do have questions around that, but, um, cause you need to eat before you go to bed. Apparently right. you couldn't possibly oh, go possibly. 10 hours without food. God exactly. Forbid. I know. And that's one of the, and you're pointing to something great, which is, um, so one of the things that we lean into is testing with people, um, circadian rhythm, intermittent fasting. And so, you know, that's really just fancy terminology for eating between sunrise and sunset. And now in the summer that might be very doable. Um, and then in the winter for people that might be new, like, Oh wait, I'm, I'm stopping and shocking. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, but then once, and often when people do lean into this, they become to really, really like it. And when they start to deviate and they have, you know, they, with social situations or whatever structure of its particular day, when they find themselves eating later, they feel the difference um, with their sleep and then the way they wake up the next day. So there can be a um, kind of a pull towards doing that and making that as much of a routine in their life as possible. The other one being early time restricted feeding. um, And that one's a bit more on the ending, um, you know, more in the afternoon. So you're kind of flipping versus, you know, most people say IF intermittent fasting. It's like the assumption is it's always skipping breakfast. Right. Which is not ideal. Right. Which is kind of flipping. Flopping and, and shifting that. And, um, and again, always using myself as an example, I did all the things I, you know, for, so before I had my sleep, you know, like, yeah, I'm so, I'm so, you know, I'm able to do this so I can skip the, skip the breakfast. I'll even skip the, uh, the midday lunch and then put all of that, those calories into that, um, late part of the night and having no concept of what that was doing to my sleep results. So again, 
I've yeah. been there and, uh, <laughs> and it's not great. Uh, yeah, so, and it kind of sucks. <laughs> yeah. kind of sucks. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, so experimenting with that. And I think that's where the tracking can come in because it can be so hard to, I mean, that's one of the fundamental problems with psychology is that so many of us, even if we're in these conversations, we have a hard time of knowing how do we feel? How are we like, and what source point, where is this coming from? So when you have tracking it gives you, um, kind of a quantifiable external place to look and see how was my heart rate, um, you know, functioning throughout the night? How is my HRV? I mean, clients that are coming in in their sixties and seventies and I'm working with suddenly by the time that we're, you know, working through our 90 day, um, you know, kind of look at their sleep, suddenly they're talking about HRV all the time. And, you know, they didn't even know what it was before coming in and you know, but it can be really life-changing. And so it provides this, um, other route of looking at, of knowing or having a sense or signs that we might be getting more stressed than we realize before it kind of goes downstream and it's really more of a problem. Yeah. And you know, everything that you're saying, what I love about all of it, and, and it really comes back to, because, you know, the other thing that people will say to me is, oh, I be, I've become obsessed or I feel like yeah. it's making me anxious to track. Yeah. And I think a lot of that has to do with how we frame, help people to frame this. And yes. it's about putting yourself in the driver's seat as opposed to being a passenger on a train going to where, you know, you don't want to go kind of thing. And, and sometimes look, there's the occasional personality. They have to put the tracking devices aside for a little while just to, yeah. just to get over it. But what you keep talking about, which I think is so important for people to take away is, and, and it's, and it's, and it's embedded in sleep as a skill, which means it's a Mm. learnable thing, which means it is in your control, which means you get to decide. Right. And I do, I do think it's, it's such an important message for people to take away. And this is not to diminish the hardships of people who really genuinely have insomnia and the struggles that they face. Cause I've spoken to a few people in that boat and hopefully they will find you through this podcast because, because real insomnia is it's debilitating. Like you can't function through the day. You don't control your food. Like, and it, it's breaking that cycle. That's just really, really challenging breaking it up. But but the quantification to come back to your point is just if we can if we can frame it to people as a means of getting feedback and taking regaining control yeah such a very powerful message for people absolutely and i think you're making such a great point i mean and i know also i can i can see the struggle when we don't have those tools to pull from and it just feels like we're at the effect of these numbers because mm-hmm. you know i i don't know if um listeners are familiar with years back there was this uh tracker called zio and so i'd had the zio way back when it was so ahead of its time and uh it was it was ridiculous like you wore it on your head and oh, no. like, you know the muse headband but this was back in like i don't know 2012 or something and um and I would get these readouts, but I wouldn't know what to do with them. And I wouldn't have the skill set to make a difference with those numbers. And then it would be frustration. And then I had the nocebo effect of, oh, well, now I got like an F or whatever the grade was. And oh, so now I, I got, yeah, exactly. yeah, exactly. I eventually really did put it aside because I found that it was just having that experience. And then shortly thereafter, I had my whole sleep breakdown. So, uh, so, you know, I had to, I had to figure it out. Like a sleep breakdown is a thing, right? It's a thing. It's emotional breakdown. 
it really, is. it is. Cause in, yeah. and that points it to that. Um, and that's another thing that I'm really grateful for, um, that experience with, I never would have thought I would have said that at the time, but there's so much gratitude because that symptom was a way of, you know, really telling my, myself, my, from the body really saying, okay, how you're managing life is not working. Like it is just not working. And, uh, you know, and I think that there's, when we do have some of these sleep disturbances, there can be something for us to really learn, um, quite often about it. And one of the things that I've even had some clients, like longtime clients begin to really love about this process is it can almost act as this, um, way of evaluating what's working and what's not working in their life. Our life is dynamic and there's going to be periods where things are, you know, going with, you know, we're living life with gusto and other times when things might be <laughs> resignation, cobwebs are growing on certain things that we thought were important to us. And, you know, we're not uh, taking, you know, um, some of those steps that we probably, if we're really honest, know we need to make and sleep can be some of that signaling process. So uh, the more we track that, when we start to see, I mean, this is a common one too. We might have people that were doing pretty fine with their sleep and now, oh, okay, now I'm starting to wake up at three, four, five, and I, that wasn't happening there before. Um, and what's going on here? And there can be some of that um, psychological elements of things. It can be a common sign for depression or now we're having um, difficulty falling asleep and common sign for anxiety or, you know, and it can be often layered is, you know, the for other sure. thing. Or yeah, hormones. Now- it can be right. as well, for sure. Hormones, a hundred percent. With the pandemic, I saw people leaning into alcohol more and more, yeah. and that one can just obliterate our sleep results. Um, might lean into THC, might be other uh, medications that we might be taking that might not be serving our sleep and that ability to really have that sense of refreshment because, you know, REM sleep is often thought of as almost like our inner therapist um, because it helps us process the world around us. And if we're routinely not going through even that part, let alone deep sleep, uh, then that can be problematic for how our even mental fortitude. And so I really think of it as a mental health um, parameter in many, many ways. Um, And the last thing I want to say about tracking too, is even if you're in this conversation of technology, who needs that for sleep? Um, the thing I, I want to just point out is that even years before these were options, some of the recommended steps to take if you were struggling with your sleep was to keep a sleep log or a sleep yeah. diary. Yeah. Um, so, you know, even if you want to begin there, if that's something that calls to you and more of a low tech thing, um, you can lean into that. And I would also offer that what's so cool about some of these pieces of tech, are they infallible? No. Are they as good as, you know, PSGs? No. Are PSGs even as good as some of us might think they are? No. Uh, You know, there's there's all of these things, but um, what can be valuable about even having periods of time where we might track um, is that it can start to clear up a little bit of that fogginess around our perception of our sleep. Cause often there's like the sense that, well, I think I went to bed at around, I don't know, it was 11 something. And then I woke up sometime and I don't know how long it was. And all of that can get a little bit more um, cleared up for us. So we have more clarity and can take more um, kind of concerted action. Absolutely. And there's also that thing that happens with um, when you're tracking your sleep that sometimes we think we've had a sleepless night and for sure the sleep may have been disrupted, but you actually got more sleep than you thought you did. And your wearable will come back and inform you of that, which, which is interesting insight because I think it's part of that anxiety that I don't think I got any sleep last night and not that you need a wearable to tell you how much sleep you got, but it can be 
it can give you some interesting insight and maybe alleviate some of that anxiety pressure. And absolutely. Cause that sleep perception is um, it's a bit of a problem. I mean, there's something called uh, paradoxical insomnia um, in that if you bring a certain person in that's saying, I get no sleep whatsoever and you hook them up to that PSG and uh, on the other side of it, it's like, oh no, you actually got whatever, six hours and stuff. Um, and they will vehemently share. No, I, I was awake that entire time. Um, now there could be questions of the quality of that sleep, the amount yeah. that they're awake. There could have been, you know, micro awakenings, micro sleep, all kinds of things going on, um, to really look at. So not to diminish that, but that there can be a sense of what, is, what is reality and what is, um, you know, what is really there, what's behind that. And one thing that is, um, empowering about some of these trackers is that now, there are certain areas that they're known uh, that many of them as of right now in 2021 um, are not uh, particularly reliable for. The one right. that I will often caution people on is the sleep stage classification. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, many of them when compared to that PSG will come up like a coin toss of accuracy. So those, and, and I'll get a number of people coming my way because of those numbers. They'll say, oh my God, I'm only getting 12 minutes of deep sleep and this, that, and the other. Uh, and so you know, you can use it as a bit of a, um, a within each wearable and not cross comparing the wearables. Cause that's a whole other mess. That's, uh, that's, that's a, <laughs> yeah, that's a deep dark hole. Cause definitely biostraps position on sleep stages is very different, very different. Than, sure. Than, than some of the others. Yeah. Um, so, but what they do tend to come up, uh, more favorably on is the, uh, the binary of, are you asleep or are you awake? Now yes. there might be a, <laughs> right. Some, right. So just that basic, which let's can, just, now, let's just deal with that. <laughs> let's just deal with that. Exactly. So like, yeah. did you get some sleep throughout the night that can also often just to your point, be really, really helpful for the psychology of things to know. All right. Like, listen, maybe this wasn't my best night, but at least I got something uh, versus this experience is if not to have something like that to lean into, we might mistakenly have, um, a bit of that catastrophizing thought pattern of, I got nothing. And will I get something tonight? I don't know. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, so that can be really, really helpful for that process as well. Yeah, no, I love that. Well, listen, I think we could, um, we could keep going for a really long time. I know I that so. you, you have a finish line, so <laughs> why don't we kind of wrap up and maybe we'll talk again. Maybe we'll do this again. <laughs> yeah. Right. Part two. So much more, so much more to talk about like supplements, routines, like the whole nine yards. And so maybe as we close, why would you be willing to share? And given the fact that there is so much more to sleep than yes. taking an herb or a supplement. And yeah. I think that that's the biggest one of the biggest things we have to overcome when we're, we're helping people optimize their sleep is it's not about an, I mean, the herbs and the pills can be helpful for sure, but it's about yeah. the routines. It's about the, the, what's it called? The, um, sleep fundamentals and sleep yeah, hygiene, exactly. Your environment, sure. your light, all of those things. But there are a couple of supplements out there or herbs that can be helpful. Yeah. Uh, so I'm wondering if you might be willing to share a couple of your favorites that yeah. that you were willing to recommend even without knowing the person. And then after that, why don't you share with us your top three sleep tips that you'd like to leave people with before, before we sure. start? <laughs> yeah, no problem. Uh, yeah. And I would echo exactly what you're sharing too around um, the supplements. So what we have people lean into is what 
traditionally will start working on all of these behavioral shifts. So like on the pyramid of change, um, that there's so many of these elements that are often free, um, and things that we can do step-by-step and, and that we want to do for many, many weeks and periods of time to start to entrain that circadian rhythm. So then we can actually lean into bringing in some of those supplements, um, with a bit more knowingness of, are these working? Are these not? Because, you know, you can take a whole amazing stack of supplements, but if you're still not, you know, you're drinking till two, three in the morning and, you know, it's obviously going to have uh, different results. Well, so once we're playing poker online, yes, exactly. <laughs> I know I got my poker people to be mindful of. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, so, so with that, um, once you have, ideally, I would um, be hoping that you're, uh, hopefully we made the argument for tracking. So you've got the tracking, so you can see, is this making a difference? You've got the, all the, the awareness of these um, uh, habits that you can bring in. Then you start folding in um, some of the supplements and hopefully you've done some of the work like with someone like yourself that, so that you've done all these tests and that you have awareness for yourself of some of those clear um, supplements that are going to make a difference and supplements that aren't going to uh, hinder your results. Cause I've actually had some clients that are taking some of these supplements that could be negatively impacting their sleep or they're taking the timing. And, um, you know, so we want to be mindful of what we are taking. So to your point around, um, the kind of blanket statements for, um, not, if we're not knowing the person, some of the things that I'm, you know, comfortable with, uh, for most people, um, is certainly the magnesium. And so leaning into that magnesium glycinate, um, is one of the recommendations that we make for sleep. Um, also taking that a bit earlier on in the night than I think a lot of people do because, uh, we might relate to that as, you know, Oh, well, it's going to immediately make me sleepy, but it's meant to be, you know, kind of the relaxation, the calming mineral, uh, so it's kind of having that amp up ramp up period. Uh, and so, so we want to put that in earlier on in the evening. Um, then I have, uh, different recommendations for, uh, theanine and, you know, some of these calming elements of things, um, yeah different mushrooms. So, you know, bringing in, um, some of the lion's mane or, uh, reishi and different, you know, things that you can stack in there all the rage at this point. I do have some, um, clients that really swear by CBD, um, and bringing that in and different stacking of that. And there's, you certainly is like a testing with the amount for something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, I will have clients, uh, and this was another one that almost can fall in the domain of people thinking that this will help their sleep being THC. And now that's a complicated one because there are times that that would be preferable. Like if you're dealing with mega, um, pain that you're, you know, just can be really affecting your ability to fall asleep or stay asleep. And if it's between that or major, you know, pain medications, then naturally we'd want to, um, often lean into that kind of natural element, but um, there's clients that wouldn't fall into that category necessarily. And they're leaning into something like THC as they think of it as a supplement, it's natural. And, um, so that's going to help with their sleep. And yet often we'll see the quality of that sleep really shifting. Uh, so that can be another time when like, uh, more of a subtraction model versus an additive model can make us, uh, make a lot of difference there. Um, And then sometimes also, you know, I'll have people that are taking whole stacks of, uh, nighttime sleep, like powders and, um, you know, they've got all kinds of teas and all of these, but sometimes they might be bringing in, uh, things with that, that can, um, often negatively impact their sleep. They might be sugary laden and, uh, 
right? Then that's where the continuous glucose monitors can be really eye-opening for people. Um, so we often will layer that in to see how their glucose is responding throughout the course of the night. Cause if you are someone that's having wake ups, that can be another really important area to look at. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I'd lean into some of those to begin. And then of course, aligning with someone, um, you know, like yourself that skilled to start to see what could be more specific supplements for you. Um, you know, if you're dealing with cortisol issues, hormonal imbalances. I mean, there's, it's so layered. There's so much that we can go into for that. Yeah. Uh, and then for those top three, um, tips, what I would say is, uh, yeah. a couple of things. One, it would be, uh, I would also say that standing just in this concept or this context that sleep is a skill to begin can make all the difference for your results. Because if it is a skill, we allow ourselves to kind of, uh, test and experiment and learn and have a framework and, uh, you know, kind of bring things in and then have this expectation that this will be a long, um, you know, a long road, but in an exciting way, hopefully is that mm -hmm. we're, you know, this is going to be kind of, I dare I say fun, uh, to experience explore, right? And Not eye-opening, eye-closing as it turns out, but yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. You know, so, um, so it's something that if you're standing in that, then you're having much more likelihood of being strategic in your approach to things versus because when we're just really desperate for sleep, we might try something one, two nights and say, Oh, that doesn't yes. work. It's thrown out. And that context can really be decisive. Uh, so, so standing in that number one, number two, not to be a broken record, but the tracking, um, and, you know, establishing, a, a real metric, um, or a number of metrics that we can get a sense of where we're at, uh, where we, where we've been, where we're at now, and then create a plan for where we're going. Um, and also putting within that tracking, um, really getting familiar with HRV. I think that can be really eye opening of all those metrics. Um, since it is a metric of recovery, it can give us a sense of how recovered we were throughout the course of that night. Cause it's nighttime, um, HRV readouts or nocturnal readouts. Uh, so that can be really eye opening. And then, uh, the final thing being leaning into getting that light, right. Uh, yeah. and then, you know, I know we didn't speak too, too much about it, but coupled within there is the, the temperature side of things. Mm -hmm. Um, and knowing that both the light is, um, your light exposure throughout the course of the day is meant to shift and from like bright amplitude of light during the day. And then, uh, um, you know, a lesser amount in the evening to uh, total blackout at night. And then same with the body temperature that we want to have that be higher throughout the course of the day. And then having pretty significant drop, uh, in the evening of, you know, two to three degrees, which is in a small amount for the body, um, uh, consistently, and then facilitating that, uh, over time. So, uh, those would be, I think the top three, and then there's so much, uh, you know, yeah. else that you can dive into from that place. <laughs> yeah. For sure. No, I love that. And, you know, on the body temperature side, I will say that one of the tools that I, that I got that made the biggest difference to my sleep and heart rate variability numbers, my recovery mm -hmm. was and the one that I, there's a few different ones on the market. The one I got is yeah. called the perfect sleep pad. And it's mm -hmm. just this little pad that goes, well, it's a very thin pad that goes under your, your, um, your top sheet, your bottom sheet. Yes. Um, and there's water that runs through the tubing in this little pad. I'm sure you use it in your, in your coaching. Yeah. And, and then they, there's a device that runs cold water through that device. And I keep my water at 65 degrees, which people yeah. are like, 
are you crazy? Don't you freeze? I'm like, you don't understand. Like it literally, it's like a, it's like a breath of fresh air underneath your body. Like, Oh, absolutely. It is, but it makes such a difference in helping the body find that temperature of its own. Oh, it's huge. Yes, absolutely. I, I use, um, the Uller and similar, same, same idea, idea. Uh, and it can just be a game changer. And the only caution is that when you, uh, are like me and just, you know, I was just traveling for the last like two weeks. It's uh, you want it back. You want it back. It's so nuts. You need to find a portable device or if somebody were to open a hotel, with something in those, I would choose that hotel over yeah. any other hotel. Yes. <laughs> Literally. Well, I was saying this to my husband. I was like, there's a business in this. <laughs> yeah. Well, shout out to bright bed. So I'm actually going to be inter um, interviewing today. They're doing, um, they have these like fancy pants, um, beds that have like a, you know, um, a pad that you can select firmness and temperature and whatever. And they're in like five-star hotels now. No. Yeah, they're oh, very I need, cool. I need I need connection to those guys. Yeah, right. Yes, exactly. I totally hear you. Oh my goodness. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, well, Molly, I think we could go on forever, but you do have yes. a call at one o'clock, which may be your own podcast. Indeed. <laughs> so why don't we close this up? Why don't you tell people how they can find you and where they can find you and how best to reach out and find out more about your courses and your coaching and yeah, uh, perfect. Believe it Absolutely. Or um, so sleep is a skill.com can act as the bucket for all the things. Uh, and so there you can take a sleep assessment, get, um, you know, kind of automatic feedback on what's, uh, happening for your sleep in particular, you can, uh, sign up for our weekly newsletter. So every Monday we aim to put out, um, a really info packed, um, rich, you know, newsletter with lots of different, uh, things, both from kind of experimentation stats and, uh, sleep, you know, studies and articles and all kinds of things in the realm of sleep. Uh, and then we also have our weekly podcast as well. Um, and then if you are really struggling from uh, perspective of wanting to have even next level up leveling that skill set, then we have those uh, cohorts and uh, one on ones, and so all different kinds of offerings uh, to make a difference uh, going for, uh, for forward on your sleep to make that difference. <laughs> Great. So sleepisaskill.com, is that it? Exactly. That's okay. the spot. And then Molly McLaughlin on Instagram. Yes, on Instagram. And even if you put in sleep as a skill on any of the social platforms, um, that should still come up from our hashtags and all that. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much. I know we went a little over time. So thank you so much for your time and generosity today. It's been a great chat. Oh, thank you so much. I so appreciate the work you're doing and I'm excited to be further connected with you. So more to come. Likewise. Awesome. All right. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to leave us a five-star review on iTunes because that's what helps us to be heard and to be seen. If you'd like to connect with me directly, or if you'd like to leave any comments, or if you have any questions about this episode, please reach out to me directly through my website, natnidham.com. And of course, if you're not already a member of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Community on Facebook, that's where you'll find me every day. It's a short application. Just answer a couple of questions and you're in and interfacing with other amazing biohackers. Thanks again. And we'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode.